Welcome to Pick Up Your Sticks, where we talk about why gaming matters with your hosts, Walker Neer and Brett Lindley. I'm Walker, and this week we share our thoughts on our favorite 4X games from Master of Orion to Civilization and everything in between. Thanks so much for listening to the episode. And if you want to support the show, you can always buy us a cup of coffee at our Ko-Fi page, which is ko-fi slash P-U-Y-S pod. The link is also in the show notes. So what's up, Brett? What 4X games scratch that one more turn itch for you? Oh, man, this is like that's like the definition of the one more turn, too. That's like where it comes from. Mm-hmm. Like, ah, I the while they're not some of my earliest games, I think they still I still hit pretty early with 4Xs. Like, I remember the first Master of Orion. Uh, my dad and I both got really sucked into that one. We did mostly like the space 4Xs. Well, so, you know, I, I, um, and to be clear, just for the listeners, this is not a, a full recount of every 4X. No, no there's it, too many. <laughs> well, and, and nor does it matter when they come from. Like, I mean, if I, I want to talk about Master of Ryan because that is constantly cited as like, you know, everyone that played 4X in the 90s. <laughs> like, that's, that's the, the ultimate one. Uh, I did not play it. Um, but, uh, you know, like I'm going to talk about Civ 6, which is the most right. recent one, right? So, anyway, but anyway, so I want to jump back to, to that, though. So, I, I understand that Master of Orion is a 4X game, um, which, but I don't know, and I understand it's in space, but I guess I don't understand why it's so beloved. Like, why is it so much more beloved than, than Civilization? And I guess I don't even mean for you to contrast the two as much as just what is it about Master of Orion that... No, so no, no. And and I think before I answer that question, I wanted to answer one other one because it's actually a question I have regardless of the fact that I know what the game type is. Mm. Uh, I didn't remember what Forex stood for. Explore, exploit, uh-huh. Uh-huh. expand, uh-huh. exterminate. Ooh, very nice. I didn't remember that. I was just like, I just know it's like grand strategy is... Yeah, it's turn-based games that are, and and I think I I, I do think you know the, the genres obviously who knows what they all are, but um, something more modern like Paradox's games, which would be like the Crusader King series, Europa Universalis, um, Stellaris that I've talked about a lot recently in the show. Um, they call those grand strategy games. And I almost feel like that's its own genre because those games, none of them are turn-based. They're right. all this kind of quasi real-time. Yet, this but then there's like, I mean, th- like the XComs get dangerously close while they're a tactical, like tactical battle map. There's a lot more base building and it, like even some political things that you can get into in some of those types of games that get them dangerously close to how much would, there is to do in a traditional 4x i would say that xcom i mean xcom a million percent is the one more turn problem right um i mean problem it's a great thing but um <laughs> yeah, sleep. <laughs> i would say yeah and, and maybe xcom 2 gets more into this which i haven't played a ton of xcom 2 but like there's not really a lot of um you know you're not researching there are tech trees but the limitation of it is or, right, or the right. scope it's, of it is much smaller yeah. Right. No, I agree. I agree. Um, but they get close. It's it's not far off. So right, yeah. It def well, and I mean it's um, it's definitely got its roots in. If you were competing with another XCOM corporation 
and you had to do <laughs> right like industry research and economics and more political research then it would 100 percent be there then it would be the game syndicate from the 90s right which right. i don't think is called a forex so no. <laughs> <laughs> either way anyway, master anyway so master ryan why is it so beloved um i think one it was my first experience with a forex um now my space forexes get a little bit blurry as far as the differences between master Orion one two i don't know that i played much at three i don't think i played three at all i think a buddy played some of it and i was like that's not master orion Rah! Mm-hmm. and you know whatever through a tantrum right but it i think it was so it's pre-starcraft and I think it was the first time I could play an alien race that wasn't humans or future humans or space elves. Mm. Cause that was, that's like, that's your, your primary fantasy tropes that from the eighties that get lifted into eighties sci-fi were all Star Trek era. Like they're all humanoid in some way. And you know, you've got angry humans that are Klingons, you've got peaceful humans, you've got stealthy, but they're all still kind of just extreme humans. Mm -hmm. And Master of Orion, you've got like a a self-realized AI that wants to conquer the universe. You've got Mm -hmm. a race of scientific bugs that just want to have, like like the bug aliens being peaceful and the big brain aliens being political or, or whatever. And the humans being the trade species that are all about democracy and like having eight different races and they all have like different ship types and it was basically like along the same timeline as we had discussed in a, our other series about Wing Commander and, and space games. Like along that same timeline, I'm finally getting to play something that's like a Kilrathi or that's that's just something out of the norm and deciding for myself if I'm a good guy or a bad guy or if I'm a justified like I think I'm a good guy because I'm trying to save the universe from the big brain people who are just trying to eat, you know, the AI is not good just because it's peaceful. It's devouring every planet it touches. So I'm doing y'all a favor. Like, I, I think that that level it's, it's a level of choice that we, that I wanted at the time. And even sometimes now in an RPG game, um, without as much RPG elements, but with more emphasis on choice. Like you want to talk about a game where decisions you make in the first turn affect the end of the game. That's a 4X. Like it doesn't necessarily affect a built-in narrative, but if you are creating your own narrative, then it 100% applies. And it applies to that. There is an internal narrative of the ongoing political schemes of the different races or countries or how, whichever style of game you're playing. Um, but it is it's a hundred percent just kind of a custom narrative that's being written yeah so it it sounds though from listening to you that that and i don't mean this as a i don't mean this in a critical way at all but it sounds like the appeal of master of orion was a lot more the i don't know if aesthetic is the right word but the races and the as you're just talking about the narratives i mean the stories like less than the than the literal gameplay mechanics being the hook it's like the fact that you're playing as an alien race and, and I mean, yeah, the, you're still doing those choices through the, the gameplay game. mechanics definitely i mean 
again, kind of an era where like Command and Conqueror maybe pre uh, I don't know exactly when I played a lot of these in terms of others but mm -hmm. at least like I played Warcraft and stuff and you're controlling a pop a little town sized population that may be having a battle in space forexes you're controlling an intergalactic civilization and so while the actual scale of the maps may not be technically that much bigger every all of the items on them are just way smaller but it feels like you're in control of so much more. And so instead of a town hall, yeah, you have a whole planet, but it just makes it feel, the feeling of the game is a lot different. If you feel like you're in control of so much more and having to juggle more at once, which is why it's turn-based instead of real-time. Well, that's what I, I guess, I guess I wouldn't be comparing it to Warcraft because of that distinction. I would, I would compare it more to like Civilization, so, like, does civilization not grab you in the same way? Because it's not fantastical in the stories around it. I mean, gameplay-wise, it's similar gameplay choices and mechanics. But it is, you're, I mean, you're just, I mean, you could be George Washington, you right, know? <laughs> right. I, I think one of the things that always kind of bugged me about the Civilization games is, like, getting George Washington up to the Space Age. Mm. Like, it was just always kind of, it just broke the some of the realism for me i don't know so i didn't actually play i don't think i think i played a tiny bit of civ 3 oh. and then i didn't play until civ 5 civ 5 oh. i really got into it though and i i loved it civ 5 was a great game um i i really did enjoy i i think i do enjoy just as much as a spacefaring race becoming a super race i enjoy kind of the same thing that Spore does, like taking you from the almost Stone Age all the way through, you know, the technological era. Like, space Egyptians are cool. It, whether you're bringing them all the way up from fledgling Egyptians to the early space era, or whether you're starting with space pyramids and going from there. Um, you know, it's just fun. Yeah. But I, I think that it was just mostly a lack of exposure, it, you know, in a time where space things when i was becoming a fledgling sci-fi like geek like i it just it came at the perfect time for me to be able to play out all of the cool things from babylon 5 like mm -hmm. it, it was just the perfect time for that for me that babylon 5 was really where i got to see that in in main media like i was a little bit of a star i liked star trek but Babylon 5 just had so much more uniqueness to it and and really started pushing that non-humanoid alien type stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it probably would appeal to me a lot because that's actually, I mean, sometime recently someone on Twitter asked, what's your favorite alien race? And I, I cited the Hanar from Mass Effect, mm. which are basically just like jellyfish that don't have to be in the water. So they just kind of like float in the air and then, but they have no face. They have no... It's just like a it's just a body and then tentacles that hang down and then it communicates somehow, but there's no mouth. Right. That. Um, and it's not even that I actually think that they're really like the coolest alien race. I just love that it's a race that, that doesn't look like that's not a biped that doesn't mm -hmm. have a face. Like I love right. that there's no face. Like <laughs> nope, a hundred percent. And 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 just I think that Forex is and then as Forex is grew, so Master of Orion's kind of where I started. Um but dad really got into the 4Xs and started scouring for the best 
basically. Because Master of Orion, you could do a lot in, but there always seemed like you should be able to do more. Yeah. And he found Space Empires, which mm. I don't even know who published it. It was, even at that time, looked and felt a lot more like an indie game, a lot more pixelated graphics. Mm. Um, but what it lacked in graphics, it made up for in just the raw power of customization. Mm. And you could customize every different spaceship and build your own and customize each weapon that it had, each block of storage space, and then build your fleets based on that. And you picked like a template for the types of ships that they would look like so it all fit a theme. Later versions, you could just build whatever with parts. Right. Um, but it, it also had probably like 200 different qualities that you could customize to build a custom race with from mm. like population growth to preferred density so like do they prefer really highly populated planets or do they prefer to be have more land what kinds of terrain can they survive on how how wide is that terrain variety mm -hmm. like they may have a preferred terrain of being on a tropical planet but then they may have a really wide survivability arc so they could survive on inhospitable worlds but they wouldn't like it or they might not care at all and eat rocks. Like you could adjust like uh, so many things from their diet to how their social functions were to their war. Like the depth of customization I spent, I remember spending hours just tweaking a custom race before I even got to my first turn. I've gotten three to five hours of gameplay in and then spending the time because you could min max your fleets by making ultra cheap scouts that were just made of cardboard and duct tape with a light speed engine on them, you know, all the way up to carriers with fighters and uh, maybe a dedicated missile destroyer, almost kind of like a homeworld sort of thing, but turn-based yeah. and, and pre-homeworld. But uh, it just, the amount of, I mean, I remember making a race that did not have space weapons, but had basically ships that were just made of reinforced hull on top of reinforced hull and filled all the internal space with hull to act as battering rams that would at least cause because in that if i remember correctly you could like you could still attack a planet without attacking the fleet but it was like one or the other mm. so i'd have enough hp basically to tank into a fleet and then the other type of ship that they had were just troop transports so they just battered into enemy fleets long enough to survive to get the troop transports down on the ground. And then they were super great at, at ground combat and had zero. So I min max zero space combat skills, 100% ground skills. And I was still able to like progress in, in having this very personally customized, like they're my rock eaters. They eat rock. They build their ships out of rock. They, they land on planets like rocks. And they hit people in the face with rocks, and and they were great. <laughs> I loved them. <laughs> right. right. Huh. Yeah. I, so my earliest memories of Forex, I think. I mean, I, I guess I would have to say that the very first one is probably actually the Romance of the Three Kingdoms series. Mm -hmm. it, it. I don't know how often it's held up like that. Um, it, it wasn't a PC game for a very, very, very long time. Right. Like. 2010 long time um 
so it was kind of obscure because it was on like Sega Genesis and then Super Nintendo. And Civilization One was also on the Super Nintendo. Um, so there's some room, I guess, there. But anyway, um, yeah, I don't. I just remember thinking it was so cool that I got to control a nation. You yeah. know what I mean? Like that I get to uh, set. It sounds so boring <laughs> to say it out loud. Like set policies on stuff like we're going to spend this much money on economy and we're going to spend this much money on training our troops and we're going to spend this much money on building the dam up and i mean in civilization there's only a few things you you choose to allocate resources between right and the armies are very simple um in, sorry in romance i don't know if i said that that's what i meant to say in romance of the three kingdoms then eventually moved on to yeah civilization one which i played on super nintendo for a little bit and then really where i where i spent the most time with you know at least the civilization franchise back then was civilization 2 i i got that on pc and i played an enormous enormous amount of that like i remember i used to have a cd player that i would sit next to the pc which how hilarious to have a separate <laughs> music device but i had you had the cd-rom the cd-rom had to be it. spinning yeah right. <laughs> so but anyway and i i would listen to um this Puff Daddy album. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't. I'm. I, if I hear a song from that album to this day, I immediately see destroyers in Civilization Two. Just awesome. me sailing little destroyers around the map, <laughs> <laughs> trying to fight or whatever. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It was just. It was a. It was so neat to me and like it was really simple features, but like they had a feature in civilization two that was called the throne room. And like, I don't know if it was based on technological advancement or, or what kind of in-game milestones you had to hit, but once in a while you could upgrade your throne room. So like when you start, the throne room is just like a, a rock. That's just yeah. the chair. And then you can upgrade it and you add like fur to it. And then you can upgrade it. And now it has like a, I don't know, a gold throne or I, whatever. It just progresses through time it's it, there's no value to it like you don't do anything in it. i thought it was so cool upgrade it to like a presidential office suite. yeah right yeah. like oh that's so neat and i don't know like just i think there were little videos when you would build a world wonder you know what yep. I mean? like stuff like that which i know those are in the modern civilization so i might be conflating but either way i just yeah i really i really really like the civilization games and i thought it was so neat that you could like it was one of the first times I ever really had access to a random map. Yeah. Because it's not like romance of the three kingdoms is always based on the same map. Like you right. can play different factions, but it's always China. Everyone's starting spot is the same. The way romance kind of um, mixes it up is you can pick different time periods to start in like a different okay. starting and year. And that changes the country layout and the city. Right. Exactly. But the actual geography is unchanged. Right. And so, yeah, like civilization just felt like this endless, infinitely replayable thing because you can create a new map every time. You know what I mean? I think that's where I enjoyed it versus a real time strategy game, too, because a real uh, an RTS, you play the, you know, the same six maps or whatever all the time and you stop having to scout your opponent because you already know where they're starting and what they're likely to do for the first five minutes. And in, in a 4X game with a random map, you have to scout around because you don't know where your resources are going to spawn. You don't know if you're going to pick up some 
rare relic or discover something early before somebody else and get some unique item or a vassal sedate or a city state or whatever to, to trade with or take over that can give you an early edge or barbarians that can come and wipe you out and set you back 50 years, you know, like yep. it, and there were enough different events in it, it, Civ or even in, in all the SpaceX games, they're, they're the same way where, you know, alien satellites, lost civilization tech, you know, just a rich star system next door that has an awesome planet at it. Like having to set up your early game is tense and yeah. it's always tense because everything that happens early is make or break for the entire game. Mm -hmm. Like that first planet, if it's an awesome planet, you now basically have two home worlds and you're going to have huge production in in Civ. If you find a town to ally with or trade with early, they'll grow to be pretty big and, and provide you with resources or military or whatever. And and if you don't, if you're in a barren area, then you've got to start figuring out what you're going to do for resources because you stop being able to expand. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that. yeah, I think it's I, th I thought it was such a cool uh, idea for a game and i also thought it was weird that like you pick a political leader like a literal person like washington or gandhi or whoever but then they're not actually in the game right like you don't like in a lot of the modern games that i've played not civilization still but um which again i said it's a different genre but whatever like stellaris or or europa universalis or even a game you and I had talked a little bit offline here recently, Endless Space 2, like there's a there's like these leader mechanics built in mm -hmm. where there's like, like heroes and leaders and yeah. And like you have different systems of government, which that's in civilization. But the different systems of government in these newer games also impact who the leader is and how long they're around and, and whatever. Yeah. Whereas you pick George Washington, he's never actually in the game. That is like you a I guess. unit that you can control. Yeah, yeah, like you just are that right. Leader, yes, as the player. Um so I would I would definitely agree that it was a little like strange. Um, but I don't know. I mean, suspension of disbelief in video games is pretty easy for me to oh, get yeah. to. Like yeah. I I'm a plumber and they're <laughs> mushroom people. I think it's a little bit different because they're based on real people. And they're yeah, like yeah. It, sure. it, it's not like a deal breaker for me. I've played tons of Civ Five. Like I loved it. Right. Um, I would just usually avoid anybody that I was too familiar with. Right. Um, yeah, I know. I never play as America in Civilization, no, no. which I, I don't dislike America or something. Like no. I'm to some extent patriotic, but I never picked America. I don't know. <laughs> it's if way I, cooler. I would actually do like I always liked the idea of like Native Americans as the dominant American. Like mm -hmm. I, I always thought that was a fun playthrough. Uh also like being able to start as I think there was one that you could start as uh like Eskimos. And mm. so you had to like fishing and but they were able to eat like seal blubber without like they could hunt seals without getting sad or bored <laughs> from eating fat basically. They were just used to it. And they could survive in the icy areas where other people couldn't. So you could like start there and still get all the normal bonuses of logging trees in the nice lush areas, but right. they could survive. And so then you could, 
you know, attack other icy nations or have a super navy because fishing boats is where it's at for me. Like, <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's the one more turn genre, but but what you were just saying made me think of this too. For me, so the, another reason that I never pick America is because all of their benefits, because every faction has like unique benefits to it. For the United States, it's always a benefit well into the future because right didn't exist back then so you know like so if you can get to world war ii like you get bombers that no one else gets like oh right. sweet. but the thing is is that like i've played a ton of civilization i've probably won a campaign less than 10 times in my life right and that's not because i get to the end of a campaign and just didn't win it's because as much as it's a one more turn game it's also like a and maybe i should start over game like it is i and i will always make the settings like oh this needs to be epic length Mm -hmm. like i need four thousand turns to get through and then i never actually play it through the end which is why i never get the i would never get to the american bonuses is where i'm trying to go with right um but yeah it's it's a it's a it's a game that like i don't know for i i think it also captures the feeling of playing like risk or something like that pretty well, which I mean is an obvious comparison, but it's, it's almost kind of like being able to sit down and play risk with AI and, Mm -hmm. and it's way better than risk. Well, (laughs) I think there's the, the biggest difference in my opinion is that there's more than one way to win in, in a lot of, in almost all four X games you've got, I mean, the, the classic civs are like the militaristic. Sure just beat everybody into submission, but there's also like diplomatic where they vote you Supreme chancellor of the world mm-hmm. or scientific. Your science has outpaced everybody else. You're the one with the immortality vaccine. So if anybody else wants it, they got to submit to your will. Right. And there's the cultural victory, which I always thought like, that's, that's such a cool ad is like the, like we're so artistic and so free spirited and, and understanding that, you know that's how we win that's how we influence others i mean i don't know if it's because of our free-spirited art art our uh, artisanness or whatever but uh i mean the united states in the real world has a significant cultural influence across yeah. the world right like it's the western culture i mean right so i don't know i think it, I, I i agree with you i thought that was so cool so for me i played civ one a very small amount i have no real lasting memory of it civ two i played a ton I never touched Civ 3, never touched Civ 4. Um, and then I ended up picking up Civ 5. And, and so I don't know when culture was added, right. but it was not a Civ 2 victory condition. Right. Um, but Civ yeah, I religious victory, though, didn't they? I, I don't really, I honestly don't remember if there was religious victory. That sounds reasonable. I think it was like religious, scientific, and militaristic were the... Yeah, I know definitely science or, or attack right um but that's that's all getting everybody to to worship worship blorch is you know pretty satisfying as well <laughs> but yeah so civ 5 i thought was um really 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 impressive like you said i thought that civ 5 was just an excellent excellent game and and you know some people complain because they changed some things that so, for example, in Civilization prior to that, you could always stack all of your units on a single tile. So mm-hmm. if you had 30 army units, you can stack them all on top of each other and then attack. 
and it's like the combined power of that ball is attacking right and even if they're individually attacking from a tactical standpoint again you can stack as many units as you have right next to the city in one place yep civ 5 changed it to be hexagonal instead of squares so there's more sides but then the trade is you can't stack units yeah so you can only have one unit there are some scenarios where it's a little tedious trying to juggle moving people around to get them in the right spot but i appreciate that tedium more than death ball yeah than just stack everything here and there's there's no because in civ 5 you can use the terrain to your advantage like mm-hmm. if you've got mountains all around your city it really is harder for them to attack you yeah in civ the civilizations prior to that you know two i guess being my experience that's not the case like yeah, if there's, if there's an entrance out, you can get in <laughs> right exactly exactly um well so another game series that i wanted to ask you about because i think you have experience with it did you play the galactic civilization series at oh all? yeah galsiv galsiv's good yeah. Like I said, so so Master of Orion, Galsiv, and Space Embers all kind of blur a little bit, and even some to some extent. Uh, I played the um, sp- wait, uh, Space Empires was the other one. Yeah. The the one so Space Empires one and two I've played. Um, they, a lot of them have similar names too when you get into some of them, but uh, all of those I played kind of back to back for a while. I I would hop between them as soon as the next one came out. I was a hundred percent in on that one. Yeah, I never, so I never played Galactic Civilizations. Um, I did end up playing Sins of the Solar Empire, though, which is made by the same studio. And that's where, so I haven't played Sins, but I've played Galsiv at least one and two. I think Galsiv three was along the lines of Master of Orion three, where I either picked it up very briefly or watched somebody else pick it up and snobbed at how it wasn't like the others. <laughs> Yeah, so I had no expect Sins of the Solar Empire. I don't, I don't even remember who introduced that to me, but I'm completely breaking the rules because it's not a 4X game. It's an RTS in a 4X altogether. Yeah, it's a an art. I mean, a real an RTS can be a 4X. Like, well, I just have to be turn. It's traditionally turn based, but I think that's because limitations of APM, like being able to click fast. Yeah, well, and it's also just like designing the game in such a way like like Sins of the Solar Empire or Stellaris or these games like they're not turn based. But when when you're playing, it feels identical to when you play Civilization or these turn based games where even though it's real time, you don't feel like you're racing against the clock in the way that you do Starcraft or something like that. Um, But anyway, so I went and so so Sins of the Solar Empire it has a pause function, but that it does, you can't, again, there's no turns. Right. So I checked out Galsiv three, which came out after sins of the solar empire. And I didn't spend very much time with it, but to me, it felt like turn-based sins of the solar empire. Okay. So I, I, again, I don't, I've never really played the Galsiv series and certainly not the older one. So I don't know, but I think there's probably, if you like one, then you probably like the other, and maybe your preference is based on whether or not it's real time versus turn based. Right. Uh, but yeah, yeah. So uh, I mean, so we've talked about Master of Ryan, Galsiv, Civilization. So I guess I'll move to Civilization Six. Civilization Six, I was also really, really, really impressed with. That came out just within the last couple of years, and it 
so it's kind of unique hook is that it introduces your city being built out on the map. So always your city has existed on the map, but if you built a library, it's just a, a, a an item on a list for your that city that says there's right. a library. There's a library there. Now the library actually goes out on the map. And so what that means is like, A, you get a little bit of gameplay in like placing certain um, improvements next to one another because they benefit. Ah, okay. A little testressing in there. Right. And then, and then also when it comes to warfare, it's a lot more dynamic because now instead of someone coming and trying to seize your city, they can just show up on the border that might be seven squares away from your actual city. Right. Destroy whatever city improvements there and then leave. And you still have to deal with that. And they right. didn't have to get through all of your city fortifications first. Um, yeah, I just thought a, a really, really cool thing. And then it carried over a lot of the really cool mechanics from Civ Five, like the religion and founding your own religion and right. wars that came in out of that. Um, did you play Civ Six at all? So I didn't. And I think okay. I, I don't entirely know what happened, but somewhere after I exhausted civ 5 in yeah i know i played at least one 3600 turn game that i won mm. through i think a space victory i think it was like a race to space kind of thing that i won through or i guess that's scientific victory but um but sometime after that forex games started i think it was with the first endless space is where i really first started noticing this is um i they started losing their luster for me. Yeah. So I think part of it was, it, it was so strange because the thing that I loved the most about 4X games, I think is the thing that I've come to hate. Um, like, sp not Space Empires, Endless Space. That's the one that I was trying to think of earlier too. Endless wow. Space uh, has a really reduced tech tree. So there's like four directions and they kind of tree, but it's mostly just number of points in a direction to get your next thing. And it, it, it simplified a lot of things, but I think that that bothered me because I appreciated having 400 tech items to where you couldn't research everything. And mm -hmm. you had to pick whether you're going to be generalized and maybe behind versus a high tech specialized race or specialized, but maybe behind generally. And I think that, that those types of compl like tedious, complicated things were what I really enjoyed. And probably even with like less focus on planetary management, like, yeah, you could pick if it had a spaceport or if it had, you know, some grand objects on it that, that upped overall industry or whatever, but you only had to pay attention to a couple of scores where it seems more or less like nowadays in a lot of Forex games, there's a hyper focus on, building all kind all the different kinds of things you could do with your planet and having workers versus and your working populace versus your just kind of leisure populace versus your royal pot and like how it spawns uh, you know rogue agents or whatever and and leaders and stuff there's so much more on those aspects of the game and less on you know the research and shipbuilding aspects and I think that's what I really enjoyed in the older versions was customizing my fleets, customizing my race, customizing my research path. 
And I didn't really care so much as long as there was X billion people on a planet and they were producing stuff for me, I was happy Mm -hmm. Um, because it was more for me about the chess pieces of moving the fleets around and how those interacted with each other or the politics there than customizing each individual planet or each individual city of, of a Civ game or something. And so I think that somewhere along the way, I got annoyed at tedium in a forex and i'm not sure if that's i haven't really 100 percent processed what it is but i i just don't have the same draw to a forex game i think it, it could have even just been like getting into games like terraria and minecraft where maybe what it was that i really wanted was to just build spaceships <laughs> and that was right. just as close as i could get for a long while yeah i don't know um i think that there's probably a couple sides to that i think that you know endless space i think came out in like 2010 um that is probably the and it's probably not just that year but that that i don't know five year span surrounding 2010 so we'll say 2008 to 2013 or something i don't know something like that um is probably the height of accessibility being looked at in gaming as the ticket to success right because that's when you see world of warcraft absolutely dominating the mmo space and the way it did that was through by being more accessible than everquest or any of the other failed mmos not that everquest is a failed mmo but countless other mmos that failed before it were (laughs) okay london (laughs) comes to mind yeah but what they did was they all they all included what you're talking about, which is this like unique ways to play or, you know, things that are just not maybe intuitively obvious to the player. Right. Um, and that just kind of take, you have to spend some time with it to get it. And I, I think that there was too much emphasis for a while on that. So I would agree that that's probably true that you encountered that sentiment and, and probably rightly so that you felt that way because that's what was happening is they're making everything. I mean, that's when call of duty is the most popular game ever at that point. And it has auto aim in it. Right. right? But it's not counter-strike counter-strike is not the most popular shooter. Oh, right. <laughs> right. It doesn't have an auto aim mechanic, which in fact has crazy aim mechanics that are way harder because the recoil doesn't make sense. Right. And so, and, and, I, and I'm not even trying to knock the accessibility of games. No, I think it, no, I think it's where, awesome. I mean, I think we had to go there to kind of come back. Right. Um, so for it to be popular enough for niches to then be. Right. You know, have room for to gain enough traction to, to make money. Basically. Yeah. Because otherwise, you're going to release a niche game and there's zero gamers. Well, right. they're not going to play your niche game. Exactly. Exactly. So I think there's a place for it. And I think in the last few years, we're seeing developers kind of learn how to straddle that line a little better i mean mm-hmm. it's not just call of duty i mean if you look at the assassin's creed games back then that's that's like the height of assassin's creed being a game where every action you take is bound to the a button right so if you need to jump then you need to be at the edge of a 
of a cliff like or go a back to an nes controller you just need a and b <laughs> right right but they were trying it's because they were again it was all in the name of accessibility like we want the character to be able to do all these things but we don't want players to feel like they don't know how to work their hands well Clop. enough to do it yeah exactly exactly <laughs> or just like a fighting game you know you don't want it to be that right but i would argue that the the, the combat in the assassin's creed games you know in the middle of that life cycle are some of the most unrewarding boring third person action combat that i've ever done it, right. it, it's astonishingly simple and dumb and it, it actually subverts for me the entire game because there's no need to sneak around and be an assassin because you can just insta kill with the a button yeah. everyone it doesn't matter if they saw you anyway obviously i'm way off course talking about no, no, i think i think you do have a point though i think that it was a mixture between because there were some other forex games that i remember like outpost um where it's like a mars or and or odd planet survival game um i think i think there was another sid meyer space civilizations that was kind of similar but the outpost was a much earlier game outpost one and two where you had to manage like oxygen levels in you know a, an inhospitable planet and it was more of kind of a city builder along a sim city but also 4xe because there may be other civilizations nearby and some combat and things like that and uh alpha centauri that was the other one ah yes yeah, yep. that's a lot closer. Outpost was much more of a city builder. Alpha Centauri, you actually had other factions on your map. Um, so that's the one that, and I had, couldn't think of it until you said it, but that's the one that I always get. Like, it and Master of Orion, I'm not really clear mm. what the differences are, and they're both referenced by people who played Forex games in that era. And while I did play a ton of Civilization II... I wasn't the gaming fan that I am now and just they just didn't hit my radar. I just didn't know. Alpha Centauri is much more civilizations and Master of Orion is essentially the precursor to Endless Space. Like the the great great grandfather of Endless Space where your map is is just a galactic map with with space lanes that you Right. Or Galsiv. Yeah, or Galsiv. And exactly, same thing. Um whereas Alpha Centauri was much more I think it was all one of them there's one of them that was all planet-based and you had like rovers and tanks and, uh, and stuff on it. I, I could be wrong on alpha centauri but there was a game in that area that had it, i kind of feel like you might be right actually that it's not because i think i downloaded it you know 15 years ago now or something to try <laughs> it it's still in your unfinished games area <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and um and yeah i think that's what my experience was was i thought it was going to be planet versus planet and it wasn't it was all right. on a planet yeah um anyway i don't know where we, i think i totally derailed no, no it's basically just i think that they became more accessible and then as they've gotten more niche again as they've moved away from that accessibility line toward a niche i think that niche isn't necessarily my niche anymore so i would i would i would suggest to you this i would uh, purely only this one type, only, only Stellaris, because of the sci-fi hook, like not the other Paradox games. Right. I, I would recommend that you try Stellaris a lot because it is more than any other, and I know I said at the beginning it's on a 4X whatever. It's very, it's in the vein. Right. And it is the most, um, 
the most emphasis on like world building like you send out explorers and yeah they find new zones and they find new asteroids with resources but they also just find new anomalies and then you have to do research right. on it and then it has a write-up of like what that anomaly was and it's it's interesting you know what i mean yeah. it's like cool stuff that you stumble into and and it allows you to create your own races and they are as weird as you want them to be i mean i don't think you can just make it a ball of light which is what i always want yeah uh, that's always a good choice give me, give me yeah give me navi from zelda that's i mean i'm I generally about. bug aliens there are bug aliens yeah you can do bug, bug aliens i mean i'm pretty easy to please bug alien or dominant ai which there's almost always one of those as well like rogue ai is is pretty good but so then i just out. get mad that i can't be gray goo and come mm -hmm. on like if i'm gonna be an indestructible ai i might as well just be indestructible like you're not gonna you're not gonna fight gray goo i'm sorry what gray goo is it's when nano machines go rogue and like one self-replicating nano machine that only has instructions to build more of itself turns an entire planet into a ball of gray nano machines that ah. that is essentially is a liquid of all the same nanobot yeah so that's crazy just, everything it touches it turns into more of itself it's That's like, lovely. yeah, it's like T2000, only everything it touches becomes T2000 from Terminator hmm. or T1000. Nice. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to stop that. Right, right. <laughs> but yeah, but Stellaris is just in it. And it's it's it comes from a place where um, you're playing the civilization, but you're not playing the leader. Like the leader is elected. The right. leader can die. You can have government systems where leadership is passed down through heredity or maybe it's through election or whatever but i think you would like it because it does a really good job of blending the grand strategy elements and also inserting a lot of for lack of a better term kind of just rp stuff right that... i think having it be more real time like it's a real time game but it has roots in a turn-based yeah. style so but um... you don't ever have to hit in turn so if you want if it's boring instead of having to hit in turn and then wait for the computer to process the AI turns for 30 seconds to a minute. And then guess what? I have to do this 10 more times in a row. Mm, until... Cause I'm just building a superstructure. Right. Instead where that becomes really tedious in the, the four X games in like Stellaris, it's the opposite. When you get to a boring part, you can kick it up to fast forward speed. And now you get through all that much quicker. Right. Right. And your prompts are not just building because, again, there are also just events, whether it be you discovering something or just an event on a planet that happens where it pops up a dialogue that explains what's going on and you have to make a decision on how you're going to deal with that. Right. Um, it's funny because for a long time, you and I have talked about, like, what is the what makes a good game? And for a long time, I said, I think it's if if it has interesting choices. And I still think that's true to some extent. I think maybe maybe really the truth is just like is it immersive because if it if it grabs you that way kind right. of no matter why it it wins right yeah and uh, i mean sometimes it is there have been 4x games that had great mechanics that i enjoyed playing that didn't grab me because there wasn't an alien race that i wanted to play right there have been the the first endless space for a long time when it was first released it, it went under several major revisions and gigantic super patches that replaced almost the whole game when it first released, though, it was pretty rough around the edges yeah. to the point where I didn't enjoy playing it. I did not like the gameplay elements at all. But the alien races were so cool <laughs> that 
I played anyway because there were a lot of those little story snippets and there's oh. interactions and animated characters, especially in the age of modern 3D gaming where you have fully animated uh, you know, interactions when you're in a political scenario, they're in a giant room and, you know, your leader and a few arbiters are standing around kind of leaning on things or moving or snarling or reacting when you give something that makes that, you know, a bad trade offer to the other side, they get huffy and, you know, throw fists and stuff. And you're like, yeah, well, we'll eat you. <laughs> as long as you're made of rocks. Yeah. Well, you know. Or we'll turn you into rocks. I, I really liked the, I don't remember what race they were, but they were the, I was telling you about them. They were a, an AI that went rogue because like their dying civilization's last wish was this civilization had ruined their planet with industry. Hmm. And so like, as this civilization is dying, they create an AI to restore their planet back to a terraformed, beautiful state. And then the race dies off and the AI does its job, but then that's all it knows how to do. And I don't remember how exactly, but it becomes space faring and realizes that there's other planets that aren't the same exact, that don't look exactly like this beautiful terraformed world. And mm. so their whole prerogative is just to terraform everything and make it beautiful, mm. which is like the exact opposite of like a Zerg or a Tyranid that's like, eat it until it's barren. They right. like want to, but it, there's still the same idea, which is like destroy all life on it and replace it with plants. Right, right. But they're they're the machine race, which I was like, that's just a fun idea. I have to play right. the 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 bonkers AI. I must terraform everything into a lush jungle world race. Yeah, yeah. I actually have been playing a little bit of Endless Space Two here lately, and uh, I mean, just a very small amount. And the race I'm playing as is a guy who is like ultra wealthy, and then has cloned himself to the extent that he's populated an entire planet. And so the race is just that guy and his clothes, <laughs> which is pretty hilarious. I thought, is it, did you also name the home planet after him and every I, ship after him? I didn't name the home planet, but yeah. So his name is Horatio <laughs> and the race is called Horatio and the home planet is Horatio prime, which should have been something else three because whatever else it's called one, two, and four are in that <laughs> system and then Horatio prime. And I'm like, why do we have four? Why wouldn't we eliminate four and make it three? So it's one, two, and three. This is very confusing for me. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, I, uh, I've been having a little fun with endless space too, though. I had shared it with you before we recorded and you didn't have the same sentiment that I did, but I've been super impressed with its UI. I thought it's user interface for a Forex game is just one of the easiest and most comfortable that I've ever played with. I mean, it's still windows and information displays. So it's not like, it's not like it's changing the way that a UI is done. Right. Um, it's just got a lot, it's got more than one way to accomplish the same thing. So like you can zoom out, like, you know, you can be in on the planets and then you can zoom out so that you're looking at, I think it's like the gala or the system view maybe. Right. And there's a button at the top you can click to do a system scan and it changes the overlay to show you whatever data. Well, then you can zoom out to a level further and now that button is a scan for like trading. And so if you click it now, it switches the overlay to show trade routes and whatever, right? Which is all great, except that also at any point you can scroll with the middle mouse button to change the zoom level and then if you click the middle mouse button 
it acts as if you clicked the button at the top to scan to switch the overlay. It's not a huge deal. Like, I get that it's not a huge deal, but it's when you play these games for so long and the tedium that you're talking about does start to set in, it's so nice to be able to just do things again in a variety of ways like it is nice not to have to go menu hunting i yes. think the thing that turns me off is just that there are so many menus like yeah. i think that now it's it, it's so weird because on the one hand i want lots of lots of content and and tedium but i only want them in certain little areas <laughs> and so like having it having so many places because the other big thing about a forex game is that is definitely a game where you could lose a month before you realize it in real world time yeah and i think that's i don't have the time to play a game to then learn the systems to make sure that i know i'm doing the right thing when my understanding has to cycle on month-long scales or even week-long scales i need I think at least nowadays I prefer because I have shorter gameplay windows. I prefer more, uh, re like faster response times to input. Like, if if I did something wrong, I should probably figure out within ten to fifteen minutes that I did, or if not earlier, you know. Like, mm -hmm. of course, if it's a fifteen minute map of something, then you're probably going to know pretty quick if you're if you died or not. But in you know maybe a couple of hour session if i need to iterate on my understanding of a gameplay loop i would like to iterate a little bit faster than i can with like a 4x well this is the golden age for you then because in the age of battle royales and roguelites and roguelikes and whatever else like the amount of uh of emphasis that's being put into that which to be clear i also am a fan of um yeah, there's a lot of games that are that are offering that. That seems to be kind of the design mo right now. Is I think a lot of it. I mean, and I could be wrong, but I think it's been spurred by mobile games. Because whether or not you consider yourself a mobile gamer, you probably have a couple of mobile games, and if even if there's time fillers or whatever, and those are the pinnacle of they have to hook you within like thirty seconds like and so you have to be able to iterate very quickly on how the gameplay loop functions i am non-secreting so hard right now and I, <laughs> so I apologize for that but it's kind of related okay so it's it's related to mobile games but not to forex so uh mobile games like clash of clans or summoner's war or any farmville i mean right. there's a huge amount of games where there is some currency that you need in order to proceed that you get some drip feed of. So if you only want to play for five or 10 minutes a day, you'll never run out. Right. But if you want to sit down and grind it, you the idea is that they'll make you spend money on recharging. Right. Yeah. So there's this new game that I'd mentioned to you again off air at some point called Genshin Impact, which is a honestly it's kind of like breath of the wild the zelda game it, it looks and feels a lot like that uh, but it's made by this chinese company well it's on pc it's on ps4 it's on xbox it's also on mobile and i was reading about it the other day and it's like it's a very popular game although the primary complaint is with it is that in the end game it has such a resource 
that you have to pay to restore because it's a free-to-play game yeah. otherwise. But, I mean, it's a gorgeous game. Like, it's a very full, large game. And they also have other things where you can buy characters and, and stuff of like course. this. Anyway, the whole point that I'm trying to get to, though, is that the genre. Do you know what the genre for that is called? Where there's a, a resource that you have to recharge and then and then they want you to try and get you to pay, pay for it? Pay to play? GA, I just didn't know if you'd come across the term or not. I, I have not so. until I was reading some article. It's spelled G-A-C-H-A. Now, I don't know how it's pronounced. Oh, gotchas. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, which are the little <laughs> capsule games from, like, yes. Asia, Japan kind of time yeah. areas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I couldn't escape the irony of the fact that a game that has some sinister loop that makes you pay indefinitely just to play it continually is also called gotcha. Yeah. Because <laughs> in American English, gotcha means, oh, I gotcha, fool. I played right. you, sucker. <laughs> Whereas right. in Japan, a gotcha is an improved version of the Walmart quarter machines. Right. With like actually nice things in them <laughs> that are like randomized. Right, right. Anyway, that was it. Like I said, it was completely unpopular. <laughs> I just couldn't believe that the thing that's designed to extract money is called gotcha like really that's tough that's on the nose again not spelled that way i understand it's cultural uh i just Still thought that was right. yeah 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 either way we have completely completely yeah, woof, we are off the rails so i will just say i mean um any other forex games that we didn't touch on that you'd like to get to so i'm, I'm trying to think i feel like there have been but there are those bits of games that exist as like scant visuals in history that like i really do remember enjoying but i don't remember what exactly they were <laughs> but i think like trying to think through games that had more political spins to them i don't think so my yeah. experience with forex is is actually kind of narrow but the time that i have spent with them is still pretty significant. <laughs> I don't know that I'm in a different boat, really. I mean, largely, I'm just a huge Civilization fan. I mean, I've played some of the others, you know, like Endless Space 2 I've tried out recently. I tried out Endless Space when it came out back in the day. Had a similar sentiment to yourself. Wasn't all that into it. Um, but again, Romance of the Three Kingdoms, if you want to call it a 4X, then right. sure. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's a little wider berth than I think. But at the same time, it's not like I've just bought every 4X title that's ever been released and tried it, so I'm not some Would you 4X... call Simant a 4X game? Mm, no, I don't think so. I mean, you're, I, ex you're exploiting, you're exterminating. Coming, so yeah. <laughs> you're expanding. Yeah, you're constantly expanding, you know? <laughs> I mean, I, I think maybe, that's a game, like, so there is, um, what is it? Rise of the Undergrowth, Heroes of the Undergrowth, something of the Undergrowth is basically New Simant, um, Empires oh. of the Undergrowth. There we go, and it's actually really good. Um, I don't know that it still gives that same Simant feel though. It's a great game, right. but nothing, nothing is controlling without like. I mean, it was really like a hundred ants on screen, but it felt like a thousand ants and going and driving the human out of their house. Right. I, I think, I think I've again landed where I hate the genre definitions that we have, not you and I, but as a 
society. Right. Um, because I feel like civilization is similar to Stellaris, but they're not mechanically identical. And I think that Simant <laughs> is not similar to civilization. But I know what you're saying. And I mean, you have to control like when you want to make breeders and how many soldiers and workers you're making. And it's it's not because I'm trying to discredit the legitimacy of it as a, as a title or anything like that. It's more just like, it's just, it's hard to, um, I don't know. It's like, is Mario like Ori in the blind forest? Like right. they're both platformers. I, yeah. It's like, I guess, but man and they couldn't be more different though like yeah while at the same time it is a 2d character that you run left to right on the screen and jump like that's fair but yeah they're different you know there's spikes (laughs) that's true that's true there are spikes there are spikes there's i don't know i think i think i like mario more than i like ori i'm just saying that right now i haven't played in any of the new mario games actually I'm just going back to it's SNES Mario. Like, I haven't played Mario. I've I've briefly touched a controller that had Mario Sunshine running attached to it, and I'm trying to think if I've played anything past that. Mm. I know I haven't played any of the Galaxies. I just All haven't right. had a Nintendo console since the GameCube. Right. So yeah, yeah, no, I think that's fair. I, again, unrelated to the topic of the show, but I do think it's interesting how. The Nintendo Wii was like the most successful console in the history of mm-hmm. consoles, yet not among gamers. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's super popular among people who otherwise don't play video games because the they Wii thought Fit. it was so novel. <laughs> you know, or Wii Sports. Yeah. Like people thought that was so amazing. And it's like bowling. But I never bought a Wii because it's like this kind of seems like kinda it's nah. drinking. Right. It is. The Metroid Prime looks pretty cool. So I have a friend who uh, who played that, and he said that it was, and he was a huge first person shooter fan, huge. Right. And he said that it was the best FPS experience he ever had. He said it took a while to get used to the controller, but once he had it dialed in, it felt like an extension of him, and it was tremendous because yeah. of the immersion of the Metroid Prime right. series. You know? So something to it. But no, I, as far as forexes go, I mean, I'm sure. There are some. I, as soon as we hit stop, I'm sure I'm going to be like, ah, this one. Um, but games that had like a heavy political or scientific tint to them, I don't. I think a lot of other ones fall closer to an RTS yeah. than a real 4X. Right. Um, especially when it's just one faction versus one other faction. There's not really any politics. It's just war. Then it's it's an RTS. Yeah. Um, but as far as a, as a real 4X goes, I don't know. I think that there's still a lot of room to iterate in that series, in that genre. I think that things like, as much as I hate saying it, like No Man's Sky existing, like, give me some hope for space 4Xs, like, in, in just the grand scale and depth. I think there's a lot of room to, to play around with that in that area. I mean, there's similar things, kind of like Dual Universe is it's getting close to building a 4x inside of it you know right so i don't know i think there's a lot of room for it but we'll see what happens as time goes on yeah yeah i would say i uh 
I, I don't have any others that I would, you know, that, that jump to my mind. I'm, I'm sure I also am forgetting something. But yeah, I would say, you know, for anyone that's that's not tried this genre or that's like, what is this? What is this? Like, I would say Civ Six or Stellaris are probably two AAA bets to make. Yeah, I would have to oh. agree. I think, I mean, I haven't played as much Civ Six. Uh, Civ Five, I loved though. So, yeah. I mean, and that's just more of the same. Like you I said, think... there's, there's some improvements. So. Yeah, I think it's just a better version of, of Civ Five, which I agree was also tremendous, tremendous. So that's all for our episode today. If you like this episode, consider buying us a coffee over at ko-fi.com slash P-U-Y-S-Pod, or just tell a friend about us, because it really does make a difference. All of our links and social accounts are available in the show notes, and if you want to hear more of Walker's insights on topics outside of gaming, check out his other podcast, The Walk Show, which is available everywhere podcasts are found.